I want to say again, appreciate Brother Keith, Brother Richie, appreciate Hope coming down with us and uh, making this available to those that can get it. We know that not everyone is uh, on Facebook, nor does everyone have access to YouTube, but uh, at least this way we can reach as, as many as possible. Uh, as you know, today is most widely referred to as Palm Sunday, a very significant event in the life of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and uh, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. And we're going to be reading from just one of the Gospels today, the uh, Brother Luke's account and what he gives us on Palm Sunday, but we will be touching a little bit on each and uh, every one of the Gospels and, and some things that are said or things that are uh, recorded there. Uh, you know, the Scripture tells us today is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in. Uh, you know, every day that we are allowed to wake up, every day that God blesses us with strength and health, uh, a sound mind, and our feet hit the floor, we ought to rejoice and be glad in because it's another day that through God's grace and mercy, he has extended unto us uh, to be here with our loved ones, with our family, and uh, to uh, do his will and, and see that the gospel is proclaimed. But uh, once again, just recall that today is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to read a few verses, as we said, from the book of Luke, and this is over in chapter 19. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 28. And the scripture says there, when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him, and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way, and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they sat Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee around, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. As we begin reading there in, the, in, chap, in chapter 19, verse 28, 
it says when he had thus spoken. Now, if you look immediately prior to these verses, you're going to see where Jesus gives the parable of the king's ten servants that he had sent out. And you can go back and read that when you have time. But I believe when you really get the gist and the understanding of what the scripture is saying here, when he had thus spoken, you've got to go all the way back to Luke chapter 9. And we see there in 9 and verse 51 that it tells us there that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, if you think about this, and we see throughout the Scripture, there were many times, and you can look at the, the various Gospels and what they record there, and you'll see that there were times that Jesus made the statement that uh, His time was not yet, or it was not His time, or it wasn't time for, for Him to be truly revealed, but yet we're seeing now that the time has come that Jesus is going to make the statement that He is the King. You go over there, as we said, and it says that he steadfastly set his face to go toward Jerusalem. Now, if you go from chapter 9, verse 51, and you come all the way up to this 19th chapter, you're going to see a lot of things take place there. You're going to see Jesus healing people. You're going to see Jesus teaching in parables. And you're going to see some of the most uh, intense and, and most important teaching that Jesus gave throughout his ministry. But it gets us up to the point here that it said when he had thus spoken. Now you think about it there. As it says over here, we're going to go back just a few verses to chapter 18. It says that he took unto him the twelve and said unto him, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. What we have to understand is over there when it says that he set his face, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. When it says here that as he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem, there was one purpose and one purpose only that Christ was coming into Jerusalem. This was going to be the last week of his earthly life as God in the flesh going to be the last week that he would walk in the flesh upon this earth and going to be the week prior to his crucifixion and all this leading up to his sacrificial death upon the cross of Calvary for you and I. And we see there, folks, as he told the disciples, they, they didn't fully comprehend. It was hid from them. They didn't fully understand exactly who Jesus was. And we're going to see some of that as, as we go through the scriptures here this morning. But it said there, when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come to Bethany and Bethpage. Now you think about that. We hear about those places throughout the scripture. We hear about those places throughout the journeys and the travels of Christ during his earthly ministry. Bethany was a place that was very near and very dear to his heart. It was there that his good friends, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus resided. He spent time at their home. We know that he raised Lazarus from the dead there. But yet we see that as he come there, the scripture also says that there was a place called the Mount of Olives. And folks, at this Mount of Olives, you could see Jerusalem and you could overlook. It was a high place on the mountain there. And a very significant place, not only in the ministry of Christ, but also a very significant place in prophecy and the return of Christ to this earth. But as we see there, the Bible said that he sent two of his disciples. 
had a job for them to do and he's going to send them out. And I know sometimes there may be those that wonder. There may be those that try to debate or maybe even try to discuss and come to a conclusion that who were the two disciples that he sent. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at the scripture and looking at the ministry of Christ and the, the relationship he had with his disciples, uh, it would make sense that it would be Peter and John, but yet the scripture does not say that. We cannot say that. We can only assume that or surmise that, but yet possibly Peter and John, maybe a couple others, but he had a job for them to do, and he sent them. And I think something that we, we see very significant here, once Jesus tells them where to go and what to do, we don't see any hesitation. We don't see any resistance and we don't see any questioning upon the part of the disciples. How many times in our lives may the Lord speak to us through the Holy Spirit? How many times in our lives may He show us something that He would have for us or maybe have a task for us to do, a job for us to do or, or something for His kingdom and yet we want to question why or we want to try to reason it out ourselves, maybe not fully understanding why He would have us to do that but yet we still have to remember that the scripture says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And folks, he knows exactly what he's doing. And the best thing that we can do is just be obedient, heed the word of the Lord, and do what he asks us to do. So the Bible said there that he sent two of his disciples. And the job that he gave them there was go down into the village. And he said, when you go down into the village there, you're going to find a colt tied. And when you find that colt tied, listen, it's going to be one that a man has never sat on, never ridden on, never been broken. He said, but I want you to loose him and bring him thither. Now, you think about the divine foreknowledge of Jesus Christ, knowing exactly where the colt's going to be, knowing exactly that it was going to be tied up, knowing that all they would have to do is loose him and bring him to Christ. But he even goes a little bit further there and gives him a little more detail and says, if any man asks you why you're taking the colt, if any man asks you what you're doing, we're paraphrasing here, he said, simply tell them that the Lord... Have need of it. And folks, once again, just as prophecy is true, just as the word of God is true, we see this word of Christ ring true. The Bible said that they were sent, they, when they were sent, they went their way, and they found even as he said unto them. Exactly what Jesus said is exactly what they found. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And what was the answer that they gave them? Exactly the same answer that Jesus told them to give, that the Lord had need of him. Now, we need to look at this and understand, folks, and just see what, what the power and, and the will of God does in the lives of those that sometimes he uses and sometimes he puts in places that, that, that need to be used for his glory. We, we see there the owners of the colt. I don't know about you, but if I had a colt tied up somewhere, a donkey is what he's speaking about here, a young donkey, if I had one tied up somewhere and somebody come and untied it and began leading it away, I would do just as the owners did and say, hey, what are you doing there? Where are you taking my colt? Where are you going with that donkey? And very simply, when they said the Lord had need of it, if that was the answer we'd give it, we'd say, hey, wait a minute. Well, you need to have the Lord come and speak to me. You need to have him come and ask me if he can use the donkey, if he has need of it. But you see, there's no resistance. There, there's nothing on the part of the owners to try and stop them from taking his donkey, taking that colt. Because why? Because the Lord had need of it. That tells me that God had already prepared.
prepared the hearts of these owners. He had already prepared the minds of these owners. And the only thing that they needed to hear was, the Lord has need of it. And folks, we see here as they're going in and getting this donkey and they're bringing it to Jesus, we, we've got to understand this is a fulfillment of Scripture. I don't know how many scriptures that are actually fulfilled throughout just this small portion that I read to you today, but there's several that you can go back and verify that, that these were things that were prophesied and as all other things, when it deals with the life of Jesus Christ, they were fulfilled just as the scripture said. But it said there that the, when the Lord had need of him, that they brought him to Jesus. Now you think about that for just a minute. They brought this colt, they brought this donkey to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they sat Jesus thereon. Now this goes back to Zechariah, folks, and we have to understand as Zechariah prophesied there in chapter 9, verse 9. Listen to what he said. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. You look at all many how years before this that Zechariah prophesied that the king is going to be riding in. He's going to be riding in on a donkey there, the foal of a donkey or a young donkey there. And notice something that he said there when he said, Rejoice, daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem. He said, Thy king cometh unto thee. There was no mistake, folks, on this day. No mistake during this time. No mistake on this triumphal entry into Jerusalem there that Jesus was making a statement that he was the king. And very simply there is Zechariah prophesied, daughter of Zion and daughter of Jerusalem. We know as the scripture says that Jesus came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That Jesus came to his own and his own received him not. He came to redeem that that was lost in man, folks. That was lost all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam transgressed the word and the command of God. But yet we see here even though he was speaking to the daughter of Jerusalem, even though he was talking to the daughter of Zion, you can go back over there to Zechariah and it says there very simply it's talking about all nations. It's talking about all those that will come in. So this doesn't exclude anybody, but yet it's letting Jerusalem know, letting the Jewish nation know, letting Israel know that Jesus truly is their king. Fulfilling the prophecy that Zechariah prophesied. Thy king cometh unto thee. And folks, you think about this, and it's no simple thing. Even though it may have been a young donkey, even though it may have just been a foal or a colt, however you want to look at it there, it was no small thing for somebody to ride one that had never been ridden before. No small thing for somebody to ride one that had never been broken. But, but even this, we see the power of God over creation. We see the power of Christ over all creation, folks. And here as he sat upon this donkey, they put their garments upon the colt and they sat Jesus thereon. He was calm, he was gentle, and he allowed Jesus to sit with no resistance with no bucking and, and not trying to move or get away, but he simply allowed him to ride. And the Bible tells us there, as we said, you can look at some of the other scriptures, look, you can look at some of the other gospels, that as they went into the city, and the Bible said that they spread their clothes in the way. And now when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, as they was coming down from the Mount of Olives, as they were entering into the city of Jerusalem there, the Bible said that the people spread their clothes on the way. We can also read in some of the other Gospels there that they cut palm branches 
and they laid them down along the way, folks. And, and, and we see there as the scripture talks about it, and that's why we call it Palm Sunday. That's why it's referred to as Palm Sunday. But they cut these palm branches down and, and they began to lay them along the way that Christ was coming there. And folks, we see they began crying out and they began praising Him, worshiping Him, and giving Him glory. Some of them said, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel. Blessed is the Son of David as they laid their clothes, as they laid the palm branches. Man, praising Him and worshiping Him. And you've got to remember, this was a large crowd of people. They had come into Jerusalem there as they had been commanded year after year to celebrate and remember the Passover when God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. And they, as they all had gathered there, there's been many estimates, there's been many thoughts, many figures kicked around. Some say possibly, possibly a, a about 2 million people were gathered in Jerusalem at this time. Now, I don't think all 2 million were all gathered out there, but I think that they had heard about this man called Jesus. They knew some of the things that he had done. Word had spread quickly, and when they heard that he was descending down from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, listen, I believe a big crowd gathered there, and they began lifting him up, began praising him, but yet it was all misguided and for the wrong reasons. If you remember, we said earlier that Jesus himself said, talking to the disciples, that it was hid from them, that they couldn't fully understand. Now, I kind of think, and this is my fault here this morning, that the disciples, as they were coming down and Jesus riding on the donkey, maybe they felt a little puffed up, maybe they felt a little that they're going to what? They're going to scourge him. They're going to beat him. They're going to spit upon him. And they're going to put him to death. That was the reason that he was born that, that day in the manger. That was the reason that his ministry existed upon this earth. Was just to die for the sins of the world. To be a ransom for many. To pay our price, folks. To be our sacrifice. To take our place. To take our sin, to take our judgment upon himself and be the sacrificial lamb, folks. Not the one that was, was slain and the blood applied there in the temple. Not the one that the priest took the blood into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. But one that was going to die once and for all, for all the sins of mankind and be seated at the right hand of God. That was the purpose of the life of Jesus Christ. That was the purpose, folks, of, of his ministry. And that was the purpose that he was going into Jerusalem this day. To be our sacrifice. To be our propitiation, as the scripture says, to take our place. But the Bible said that there the, the people did what? The, the multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God. And as we say, say Hosanna to, to the son of David, to the son of God, to our king. Lift, lifting up to be a king. No doubt many of them there probably thought just as the disciples maybe. Hey, listen, he's going to take a, a kingdom right here. He's going to sit upon a throne. He's going to make everything right in Jerusalem today. But folks, once again, that was not his purpose nor the reason for his life. But listen to what the scripture says. It says that they began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. See, sometimes that's where we fall short. We don't rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Most of the time, we don't rejoice and praise God with a voice at all. Sometimes we think just that, that inner rejoicing. And, and, and folks, what, what we feel for God from the heart is, is sufficient. But listen, there's times that, that we need to let that praise out. We need to let that rejoicing out. We need to let people know what He's done for us. And the Bible said there that they began to what? Praise God and rejoice with a loud voice. But now listen to this. For all the mighty works that they had seen. Now think about that for a minute. All the mighty works that they had seen. 
Why were they rejoicing? Why were they praising? Because of what they had seen. And some of the things that they had seen was what? The blind being given sight. The deaf being able to hear. Folks, listen, those that were dumb and unable to speak, he loosed their tongues and gave them speech. Even raised the dead back to life. Healing the lepers, folks, all of those that came to him. The woman with the issue of blood. All of these healings that Jesus had done. All of the times when you think about that, as he looked upon them and, and, and folks, he even fed the crowds on more than one occasion that were hungry. And as they all that they had seen, they were rejoicing and praising God for them. And you think about that in a minute, and let's put this into perspective. <laughs> I was never physically blind. I was never physically deaf. I was never physically dumb and unable to speak. I was never, uh, folks, physically dead since I've been in this world. But let me tell you something. Spiritually, I was blind. Spiritually, I was dead. Spiritually, I was dumb and could not speak the things of God. Spiritually, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. But let me tell you something. One night, a man by the name of Jesus came along and he raised me up from that life of deadness. Folks, give me a new life. Make me a new creature in him. Gave me the sight that I needed, the hearing that I needed to be able to see and hear the things that he had prepared. And man, if they could rejoice and praise God, for the physical things. Listen, we need to be able to rejoice and praise Him for the spiritual eternal life that He's given us. You know the scripture says when we get saved that He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west and they're never remembered by God again. Folks, that's enough to rejoice and praise Him for every single day. We can never praise Him enough for what He's done for us. Listen, if He simply saved our soul simply had our names recorded in the Lamb's book of life in glory. We could never praise Him enough. Now, I don't know about you, but since the day I got saved, let me tell you, He has blessed me time and time again. He has strengthened me. He has encouraged me. And there's times that He has carried me when I couldn't go on in my own strength. And folks, listen, He will never leave us alone nor forsake us, but to understand that truly He's worthy today of our praise and we need to rejoice and praise Him. For the right reasons. Listen to what they were saying. The Bible said they, they were rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. You know, many times in the scriptures, we see types. We see shadows of, of Christ all throughout the Old Testament. We see types and we see shadows of, of different things throughout uh, the word of God. But man, on this Palm Sunday, let me tell you something. This was a type. This was a shadow and a, a foretelling of things to come that, that, that we can only imagine with our mind. If you go on over there to the book of Revelation, folks, in chapter 7, verse 9, I want you to tell you what it says there. And if you begin at the beginning of the chapter, it's talking about that 144,000. It's talking about that 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and they being sealed. But after that, I want you to listen to what John said. John said, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man can number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and listen to this, and palms in their hands. It's not talking about the palm of their hand, but it's talking about palm branches that they had there. And what were they doing? They cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and under 
of the Lamb. Just as they glorified Him and they praised and rejoiced this day for the wrong reason, there's coming a day that He's going to be praised and glorified and the palms are going to be raised for the right reason and it's for the glory of God and praise unto the Lamb. Folks, listen, He's coming one day. Not going to be riding a donkey. The Scripture tells us He's going to be riding a horse and it talks about there in one place in Revelation that on his vesture and on his thigh are written the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But you think about this as they, they began to say that blessed be the kingdom that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Man, it sounds a little familiar, don't it? Something very similar to that when Jesus was born. You remember when the host of heaven began to praise and began to sing and they said, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. You know, sometimes one of the things that we, we might not fully understand and one of the things that we might not fully grasp and realize about Jesus Christ, and folks, listen, this is not opinion. This is not thought. This is what He said. He did not come to bring peace. Wait a minute, preacher. Wait a minute. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men when He was born. They're saying here, peace on earth, glory to God in the highest. Blessed be the King. And you're saying that Jesus isn't about peace. Everywhere that He went, He was peaceful. He certainly was. But Jesus Himself said this, I come not to bring peace, but I come to bring a sword. And you think about that for a minute. And this sword that He's talking about is a sword that divides. It's going to divide families, folks. It's going to divide parents and children. It's going to divide brothers and sisters. It's going to divide relationships. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I don't understand. I don't get it. What do you mean there that it's going to divide? Because let me tell you something. When somebody's serving Christ and somebody else is not serving Christ and serving the devil there, listen, there's a division that takes place, folks. And the only thing that can heal that division is Jesus Christ himself. But we got to understand that there's coming a day, listen, that the final division is going to be made. The final role is going to be called. And listen, if we're on the wrong side of that sword there, listen, we don't have something good to look forward to. But it's only torment. And that lake that burns with fire and brimstone. After that final judgment in front of God Almighty. But listen to what it says here. We'll, we'll go on. But it says there some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. He tell you something about the Pharisees. They didn't like Jesus. Didn't accept Jesus. Didn't believe Jesus who was who he said he was. And he rubbed them the wrong way. They accused him of blasphemy. They, they accused him, the religious did, of, of being from Satan. They, they, they talked about his, his birth that was not a fornication or theirs that was not a fornication, making a, a, a slur toward him. But yet they were so wrapped up in religion, so wrapped up in themselves, so wrapped up in what they thought it was supposed to be like and that the Son of God was going to be like, they didn't even recognize who he was. Think about that for a minute. And they even told him their master. Listen, rebuke your disciples. More or less telling Jesus there. Listen, have all these people shut up and be quiet. Have them sit down. They didn't like it because they were praising Jesus, glorifying him, even if it was misguided. And for the wrong reason, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus being praised. I love the answer that Jesus gave. He, he very simply said, I tell you, that if these should hold their peace, that the rocks, think about that, the rocks, the stones would immediately cry out. 
And I know myself and probably many in our church when we, we read this verse of scripture that one of the things that comes to our mind is old brother Slick. And Slick talks about out there on his front porch and on the, on the porch rail. He keeps some rocks sitting there all the time. And as he goes out the door, he's constantly reminded that if we don't praise him and we don't rejoice and we don't give him glory that, hey, the rocks and the stones are going to cry out. And let me tell you something, folks, whether Jesus was being literal, where he was being figurative, it doesn't matter here. What we've got to understand is that if we don't give God glory, somebody will. And we've got to understand, as the scripture says, that the heavens and the firmament show his handiwork, that everything was created for his glory, folks, and his glory alone, and even the very creation praises God. And you know that Creation praises and glorifies God to the extent that Paul said in one place that we are without excuse as man and not recognizing that there is a God, that there is a creator, that he is alive and that he is in control. But Jesus very simply said, hey, if these would shut up, <laughs> the stones and the rocks would cry out in their place. And as the old song says, we ought to have the attitude, we ought to have the mindset that I don't want any rocks to cry out in my place. I need to give him glory. I need to give him praise. I need to let people know what he's done for me. Listen as it goes on there. It says, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Think about that for a minute. He beheld the city and wept over it. We see in another place that as he looked over Jerusalem, the scripture says there, he, he looked upon him and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you together as a, as a hen, a mother hen, if you will, would do her chicks and, and bring you together. But he said, you know what? But you would not. They wouldn't allow him to. Once again, understanding that the word says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But here we see in the scripture that said when he was come near, he beheld the city and he wept over it. Folks, there's two times in the Gospels that we read of Jesus crying. It's this event when he beheld the city of Jerusalem and wept over it, his own people. And the other event is when he goes to the tomb of Lazarus. I know sometimes we may read that and we may think and, and understand that, oh, listen, he was sad because of his friend Lazarus. But you got to go over and look at what the scripture says there. The Bible said that when he came there, he, he began to see Mary. And he began to see the, the Jews that were with her. Listen, that he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. Listen, he was, he was sore troubled. And he asked, where have you laid him? And they, they told him where Lazarus was. And the scripture very simply says, Jesus wept. Listen, we sing weeping here over Jerusalem. We sing weeping over those that are mourning over their brother Lazarus. Listen, Jesus knows that he's getting ready to bring Lazarus back to life. He knows that he's getting ready to raise him from the dead. And I think today, I feel today, that those tears were tears of compassion, tears of sorrow for those that were mourning the loss of Lazarus. And we see tears of compassion and tears of sorrow as he looks over this city of Jerusalem. And folks, listen, if there's ever anybody that'll have compassion on you today, it's the Lord. We've already, we've all probably experienced some time in the walk of life, people who have no compassion, who have no mercy. 
And they don't care. Listen, it's their way or no other way. Listen, when, when you need that compassion, they don't show them. But I guarantee you today that there's one that will show you compassion. There's one that will show you mercy. And his name is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And he'll give you what you need. But as he looked upon Jerusalem with this compassion and mercy, folks, listen to what the Scripture says. He went. Listen to what he said. If thou hast known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee, compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay even with the ground and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave, listen, not leave one stone upon another. Jesus is given another prophecy here that's going to take place 30-some years later, maybe about 40 years later, when the Roman uh, government folks, the Roman army comes in and they absolutely level the city of Jerusalem. You see, there was a time the Jews rebelled against the Roman government and, and the army tried to strike back. It was a little bit difficult for them. Before it was all said and done, they burned the city and folks said everything was leveled to the ground just as Jesus said. He said, you don't even understand what's going on in you this day, speaking of himself. And you don't know the trouble that's coming. And I want you to get a hold of this statement, folks, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this. He said, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Think about that for a minute. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Not fully realizing what's going on today. Not opening your eyes and seeing who's before you here. There's trouble coming ahead. Well, let me tell you something today, unsaved. You're not fully realizing what day it is today. The scripture says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. You need to understand that this is the time of thy salvation. This is the time of your visitation. That Jesus stands before you, reaching out unto you, drawing you to himself, asking you to come and be saved, and you better realize, listen, and understand what's going on today because trouble's coming. Just as Jesus prophesied that trouble was coming to Jerusalem, folks, it came and destroyed the city. Listen, trouble's coming to all those that reject Jesus Christ, all those that fail to receive and accept Him as their Lord and as their Savior. And let me tell you something, that's a trouble that you don't want to have, a trouble that you're not going to be able to, to get out of, to get away from, and it'll never end. It'll be for eternity. Jesus came riding in to Jerusalem this day on that donkey, fulfilling, folks, the prophecy that the king of Jerusalem, the king of Zion, is exactly who he was. And you know, in all those times that he said, my time is not yet come, guess what? Now is the time. And he told them very simply, you don't realize this is your day of visitation. Our good friend, the prophet Isaiah said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon the Lord while he is near. Let me tell you, you need to reach out to God as he's reaching out to you. This is the day of your visitation. Don't let it get by you. Don't let it slide by. Don't wait for another chance. Don't wait for another opportunity. You know, that's the biggest lie that the devil feeds man today is wait. you got plenty of time. Listen, he won't tell you that Jesus didn't die for you because he knows that it's true. He won't tell you that Jesus didn't raise again the third day because you better believe he knows that it's true. He won't tell you that Jesus is not at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. He won't tell you that Jesus is the only way, but what 
he will tell you is wait for the, a different time, a more convenient season. Wait for another time. Today is the day. Now is the time. Don't miss the time of your visitation as we pray. Almighty God, we come to you once again this day, Heavenly Father, thanking you, praising you, mighty God. Oh, for this privilege and blessing you've given us once again, Lord, as unworthy as we are to stand and proclaim your precious word. Father, we know that your word is true. We know that your word will stand when the world's on fire. And Father, it's going to go through any obstacle and any resistance that may come against it. Your word will always stand true. And folks, as we preached last week, and Father, as your word says, that we shall know the truth and the truth shall make us free. This is the only truth that will make us free. And that's that truth of Jesus Christ. Once again, God, we pray that you go with the words that were preached here today. May a seed be planted or a seed be watered. God, that you may give the increase. This we ask and pray in the holy name of Christ our Savior. Amen.